0: Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Daryl Jones, author of A Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road, New Thinking About Roads, People, and Wildlife. Darrell Jones is Professor of Urban Ecology and Deputy Director of the Environmental Futures Research Institute at Griffith University. He is the author of The Birds at My Table, also from Comstock Publishing Associates. We spoke to Darrell about how he got interested and actively involved in the field of road ecology, one of the most inspiring stories in which road engineers and environmentalists successfully worked together and how you yourself can get involved with this important issue in your own local community. Hello, Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan, it's great to be here. Well, we wanted to congratulate you on your new book, A Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road, New Thinking About Roads, People and Wildlife. Tell us the backstory behind this book. How did you get involved with this topic?
1: Yeah, this is, it's a topic that's it's a fairly unusual topic. It's, the field is called road ecology. It's a new type of hybrid thing. It's to do with trying to overcome the problem that roads present. Um, you don't, we don't even think about roads, we just drive along them. And yet they've carved up the landscape everywhere Everywhere you go. If, if you're an animal, just think of yourself an animal in, in a patch of woods somewhere. No matter which direction you head, you will come across a road. <clears throat> um, it might be a small road, so it's no problem, but it might be a big road. You know, so, but what it's done is it's isolated populations of animals it's um they, they can't move safely anywhere. But when they try to do that, so a deer walks onto the road, it, it then presents a problem for road safety. So we actually want animals to move through the landscape, even though that we have divided it up into so many little patches, but that's dangerous for the cars and for the animals. So this field is trying to overcome those problems. Um, and, and so that's what this is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly new field. So. The idea of my of writing the book is to take this the message of how we what is going on all around the world and and also getting people to start thinking about the significance of roads themselves and um and what we might be able to do about it
0: excellent excellent and you haven't been just a researcher you've actually been actively involved in the politics of it tell us a little bit about that
1: yes absolutely so there's there is in inevitably politics because Every time somebody wants to build a new road or, or a railway or any, any linear infrastructure at all, it's the same deal will come come, come on. Um, yes, so somebody decides that they, you know a company or an agency or a city council decides putting in a new road somewhere or upgrading an old one, that inevitably leads to impact on, on humans and people and, and perhaps the uh, landscape around. And there will be opposition to that almost everywhere that will happen. And so, you know, there is, you know, somebody says, hey, we're building a new road and, and somebody, another group of people saying, we oppose it completely. And that's that. And so you have conflict everywhere. And so I've been involved for nearly, well, nearly 15 years now in coming, trying to bring those two disparate fighting factions together more um, and, and, and letting, them to, letting them see that there are ways through this, this potentially difficult problem that roads often do need to be built but they don't need to be absolute barriers um, and that's probably the thing that i'm getting at, trying to get across is roads are barriers but they don't need to be we can we can bridge the barrier if you like by all sorts of different ways yeah so the political political side of this is coming getting involved in both sides so i'm a, i'm a road ecologist so i'm i can understand what the road engineers are saying but I also understand what the community is saying, and the ecologists, and all the other people. So, so the field is very multidisciplinary. It needs to have all sorts of um, perspectives to come in and try and address the problem.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, it's it's uh, your story is very inspiring um, because, as you well know, it's difficult to read the news these days for a multitude of reasons, uh, but particularly when it comes to the environmental front, the news is. It's quite depressing and there's oh, yeah. uh the humans as well as countless species yeah. of plants and animals are facing a, a really dire situation um but road ecology has some positive news and tell us tell us about these extraordinary uh crossing structures that are developed and and tell us w- what they do
1: yeah now that's probably the 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 nut the nub of what we what i'm trying to say is um although everybody well is one once you're aware of roads you think it's a it's a, just a terrible, yet another wicked problem to face. You know, we have to have the roads, and what can we do about it? And you know, and, and again, we face just despair. So this book is to really um, argue against that that hopelessness, and to and to give lots of examples of just how spectacular and successful it has. We have been in terms of getting animals across the road. So, so it starts. You, you start with a simple road. Um, every road in the world has got. Tunnels or culverts or pipes underneath for the water. You know, you can't have the water build up on one side of the road. It's got to, to travel through. So they're they're everywhere. Animals have always used those pipes. You know, if they, when they're dry, they can they can just walk through the through there and get across safely. Little animals, of course, mostly they're small things. So that's so. But building on that concept, there has been all sorts of other structures much more designed, not for water this time, but for animals to get through. So different sizes and shapes, and what we call furniture, the way they're designed inside. There might be places for animals to hide from predators or all sorts of things. So that's now extremely well-advanced. Those things are everywhere, but you don't notice because you just drive along the road above and you don't see them. Without doubt, the most um, conspicuous of these structures to allow animals to get across the road uh, these huge wildlife overpasses um, and they're you know they're, they are incredibly successful animals use them all the time and, and immediately use them as soon as they're available but of course they're really expensive you know so you can't put them anywhere and so they need careful thought about where to place them and You you've got to have good healthy populations on either side of the road there's no point in letting them going over to the one side where there's no prospect of having a life on that side. But it's all about enabling as simply as possible the animals to move through the landscape without even noticing the road and being worried about it. So you, you so I'm, I'm just skimming over the surface here, but you, we've now got underpasses for, for animals to move under the road and big overpasses. But there's other things as well. There are things we call canopy bridges, which are like a like a rope ladder which connects the canopy on one side across the road to the other side so animals that are arboreal tree dwelling they don't even need to come to the ground anymore they they can safely cross this busy dangerous place just by walking along this ladder Uh, and in Australia and a couple of other places we have gliding animals so they don't fly but they have wing kind of apparatus between their legs and they can shoot off and float through the air for a long distance. With, and they're called gliders. Australia has lots of gliders. So we have uh, the capacity to put up poles, a series of poles, maybe 10 metres apart, across, you know, a busy landscape, across, you know, a six-lane highway. And the, and the gliders will then, you know, zip from one to the other and get across the road safely. And to my, you know, to everybody's surprise, they were really like a dream, you know, It takes a while for the gliders to work out what they are but once they once they know ah we can use these for gliding they weren't here yesterday but they're here now so let's let's have a go so just some of the some of the examples of some of the things some of the structures
0: what were some of the ones that uh the specific locations that you thought you know this glider one sounds amazing but what were some of the ones like around the world that were really really impressed you
1: probably well one of the one of the one of the approaches that has been most impressive hasn't even been literally a structure that allows the animals to cross. It's a different way of looking at the road. So this is a European example, it started in Europe. So many of these things did start in Europe, um, but it was, it's a way where you, instead of... So one of the problems we face as an ecologist in trying to understand what can we do about this road here? How can I allow the animals to get through safely? And the, and the and the terminology is how can I make it more permeable? Like it's got spaces in it, and so you know you look at this at the design on the on the map, on the you know on the on the plan, and think, what can we do here? Where are some places to put underpasses, overpasses, whatever it might be. In places where there is um, sensitive land or, or hilly country, what the idea is now is to put in the road high above the ground anyway, on, on pillars. And that just means that the entire area under the under the road now is completely un, unaffected. There's a few pillars and they they have just they just you know they're concrete things that go straight up into the air. But the, the road then is ab- above them and it has absolutely no effect on them. So that's probably even the probably the best thing. I didn't even think about this, but there are places in Europe where there are some spectacular things like this going through mountainous country where the road is way above the deep valley and all the animals can just wander through underneath, barely even knowing that there's a road there. So that, so I mentioned that because it was a completely different way of thinking about this. You know, we're, we're fixated on building a structure that is a, a tunnel or a, an overpass, but there are other things we can do as well.
0: That's brilliant, that's brilliant. So now you said that they are expensive. So mm. is, what's the, what is the, what do you see as the most cost-effective, measure that could be taken for for one of these new structures and 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 it kind of segues into the the question i had is like what can the average person do to convince their local community to do so like is there is there a role model there's all these different structures is there one that is kind of coming to the forefront of like this is a uh, relatively inexpensive but very effective
1: okay sure now that's a good question And, and and so it really gets down it's it's very much everything about road ecology is local everything so what will happen is there is you know a a new road somewhere is being planned and there's opposition to it and what we're going to do and you know in the best case scenario the the environmental groups are sitting down with the the planners and everybody's trying to listen to each other and all that sort of thing that's that's how it should be and so what what will happen is wherever you are there will be local specific things that you need to address it might be the terrain is such that you can't put in a an underpass or something so there are you know, things that to be discussed. But really crucially, there will be specific species that are of concern. And they may be concerned because they're rare or really threatened in a particular place and if any more get killed on the road, it'll be really catastrophic for the population. But much more likely, it's going to be, how can we keep these abundant large animals off the road so that we don't have a road, you know, road safety issue? That's, and that drives at least half of the... Motivation to do this stuff. So you can put up a fence, of course, that just stops the animals dead; they can't go any further. But we want them to move. So if you put in a fence, you've got to put in another way for them to get across the road and without going onto the tarmac and being hit, hit by a car. And so, so there, there's a lot of thought goes into where it, where our structure should go, but 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 importantly. What are the key species? We call them target species. So, you know, in, in America, it's going to be deer. You know, there's wherever you go, there are tons of deer and they're a serious threat. But there will also be probably smaller animals, you know, a turtle or a species of frog or whatever it might be, some little thing that seems to be insignificant. But is it crucially important in that, in that location? So there will probably be a, a community group, you know, absolutely agitating because of their favourite local pond where the turtles live or something. Mm-hmm. And so this is very bespoke. It's very, what's the problem in this specific location and how can we solve it like that? But, but that's what road engineers have always been. About. Every bend in the road, every time they have to put the road across a, a, a creek or a go around a corner or through a mountain, that requires specific design features about that specific location so but yeah road engineers are used to doing this kind of thing It's just said they've never had to think about it from a biodiversity perspective
0: interesting yeah never thought of the the financial impact you know it would be interesting to see if you know insurance companies everything the insurance companies are very strong in in, in north america that it would be in their best interest to reduce accidents uh you know mm-hmm. particularly people hitting deer um to Support this on a, on a national or even a state yeah. level.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Now and um, and deer, like the number of deer ki- ki- hit on roads in the states is is beyond comprehension. You know, there's just, and that and they not not only represent dead deer and injured people, but smashed up cars and an enormous amounts of you know of cost involved in that. So yeah, yeah. so that's that's definitely a, a thing and you know and the insurance companies are starting to get really worried about this kind of stuff. Um, and there are there are in fact a few tracks of of land of, of road in Australia where the our equivalent deer, to the, to the deer problem that you have is the kangaroos. They're okay. just kangaroos are just deer that hop, you know but they're exactly the same thing. And they you know they there are insane numbers of those killed every and, and cars hit them all the time. so, there are places where there are so many kangaroos for various reasons that if you have an accident there, the insurance company won't cover you. you know, so you gotta be careful.
0: So, so for someone that wants to learn more, obviously your book is an incredible resource and we encourage them to read it. Um, but if they wanted to uh, get involved and go to their town or city council or wherever they may be listening, uh, local government, uh, how, what do you recommend as a first step to get this on the agenda?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point because that's that is literally what this book will probably do. Is it? It will people people will probably say, I've never thought about this. I, so this will actually, I can take this to my local member, you know, state legislator or federal representative or something, and say, we've got a real big problem down on my favourite bit of land down here. They're putting in a new road, but what can't, can't we put in one of these overpasses? You know. So that, that's a good point. So there are a number of places you can do this. You can just Google eco- road ecology and things will come up. Okay. But in the United States, um, there is a, an organisation. It's named after the, its meetings. So it's called the International Conference on Ecology and Transportation, ICOET, I-C-O-E-T. And it's, although that refers to the meeting, it is also the source of enormous amounts of information. So you can you can go there. Um, the other thing is that that's also available is uh, a, a website that is being. It's really just starting now, called Ecology Transportation Info. I think it's something like that. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll make sure I get the right terminology for you, right, right label. And that is a place that exists entirely to share news and and. Solutions and plans and all those sorts of things from all around the world, so that anybody can see what's going on. So we we are continuously putting in new case studies or examples of research that's been done, and so that people anyone can go to this thing and read about what did they do about the otters in the Netherlands or what did they do about the um, what's the latest on the Florida panthers, you know, and they you know like wherever you want, there's there's a whole lot of information on those things. So there's a couple of places to look. Yeah.
0: Well, that's fantastic. I'll include those links in the description. Of yeah,
1: I'll, I'll make sure that we, um, I'll send those to you. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. There are so many inspiring stories in your book. Tell us one of your favorites.
1: When I started writing the book, it was very technical. It was, a, it was how, isn't this amazing, this structure that I'm talking about, and how big is it, and how many animals use it, and all that sort of thing. But the thing that has impressed me the most um, is the, the impact that small, dedicated, informed community groups can have. In fact, this is where the impetus comes from, because these people who won't take no for an answer, who are very motivated and, and strong about what it is they want to do, that's where the action is, because properly and carefully and respectfully done, they, they are an implacable force. And, and as it has been discovered by by agencies and road engineers and everybody else around the world, they're a formidable force. So the so one of the best examples of this is is on the I ninety, which runs out of Seattle and heads across the states to the east. I think it might be the longest road in in the United States. So just the others, just you know, inland from Seattle in Washington State is the C- Cascade Mountains. And so there's a a big road goes through there. It's very mountainous and very dangerous kind of road. So WashDOT, which is the Washington Department of Transportation, just decided that they needed to upgrade the road. It's, you know, there's avalanches and things you have to, you know, in in the snow country, snowy time of the year. And so they said, well, we'll just put it. Everybody will want this. We'll make the road safer. What they had no idea about was that while they're thinking this way, a coalition of about 100 environmental and and recreational groups had all come together. And they were pooling their resources so they could buy land for conservation purposes all along that corridor where where this road was going. And then they suddenly hear that the transport guys are going to come and smash through the land that they've just bought. And so it wasn't a pretty outcome. It was all hell broke loose. And so the Washington Department of Transportation was just going, what the hell? We had no idea what was going on. You know, and they were completely flustered. And there's some great footage of people being interviewed saying, we just build roads. You know, like, what, what, what's all this about? And they had no idea. So it, at what started as an absolute implacable catastrophe and nobody was going to move a budge an inch Eventually, because of and it was all comes down to a couple of key personalities on either side of the fence said, "Now let's just let's we can't this is no good we we can't keep going like this let's talk to each other." And so there was a long period of, of, of thawing, and they really started again. Got new people and said, "Let's start this conversation again." And and I think it exemplified by let's say a year later. They, the transportation people have to go to the state legislature to get money for the money to build this new road, or it's an upgrade of a road route. And so when they went there, they were, there was two groups. There was the environmental groups and the road guys. And what happened there was the environmental people got up in front of the state legislature and said, we really need this road, it's very important for, for, for transportation purposes. And then the road guys got up and said, Yes, we do need the road, but it's incredibly important that we take care of the biodiversity on either side of the road here. And that floored everybody. And, and the result was about a year and a half later, those two guys stood in tears, embracing each other as the big new overpass was opened on the I-90 going through the Cascades. So that's, I think that's, that's where my hope comes from because it was it all came down to some having respect and listening to the other side, And knowing that there are now technical engineering solutions to what is a big problem and that these things can actually occur. So, you know, that's just one example of something that started out looking terribly negative, but in the end became a a fantastic um, outcome for everybody.
0: That's such an amazing and encouraging story. It really is. And thank you so much for for bringing this mm. to light in your book. Because as we talked about in the beginning, there's so many intractable environmental mm. issues and you, you kind of throw your ha- hands up in the air, like what actually can we do? And mm-hmm. I think that that's what's really amazing about this is we, it's it's practical. You have engineers who, as you said, like we just make roads mm. but if they, if they can have an actual conversation with environmentalists and do something practical with the technology, okay. like there is a, it's a solvable issue.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, and I
1: think one I, I, probably I've I've seen this occur on in so many committee meetings where you know I'm sitting around the around a table with everybody on either side, and and at some at some stage one of the, a chief road engineer will go, wait a minute, this is a design problem. This is an engineering problem. Yeah. We can design a solution to this. And so that's when when they go, ah, oh, this is what I'm trained to do. You know, I let's design a way out of this problem and that's you know that, that once you've got that you know you you're in, in business you know things that, are going to happen
0: that's yeah. great so it's a design challenge rather than some sort of philosophical debate yeah, or, yeah you know, just, exactly absolutely yeah oh that's great that's great well thank you so much for sharing that story and for sharing much more in your new book a clouded leopard in the middle of the road new thinking about roads people and wildlife it was truly a pleasure to talk with you daryl
1: thank you very much wonderful
0: that was Daryl Jones, author of A Clouded Leopard in the Middle of the Road, New Thinking About Roads, People, and Wildlife. You can follow Daryl on Twitter at MagpieJonesD. If you'd like to read Daryl's new book, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSannounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.